We all feel better. We all feel better in the dark. Kick your ass! And say, since he's my friend, I'll have to kick your ass too. You know? First, you give us this stupid Poughkeepsie tape yeah, I mean, yeah. bullshit ripoff. Because he's my boy. Yeah. 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 Check it. Let me tell you about these two dudes from Brooklyn. You won't view movies the same way again. Every two weeks you get something new and hate it or love it, they break it down for you. Tom DJ and Derek Ferguson been writing for years, got respect from the peers. Watch these movies for all benefit. The watching Halloween, love Tom rather spit. How about a couple musicals or maybe Dennis Quaid? Or Tom's on a rant, directors be afraid. Episodes classic, don't get it twisted. And from the start, these two have been gifted. Tom loves Kristen and Derek loves Pam. Tom hates heroes and Derek can't stand. Remakes of movies that don't need remade. Watch out studios, they won't be played. So give it up for T and give it up for D. Coolest guys from Brooklyn, this side of Jay-Z. My name's B hyphen and it's time to start. Cause we all feel better, better, better in the dark. This is better than my Why is the DVD player not working? It's not It's not working, but it's just there's nothing on there I want to see. The programs that I really want to see are not on DVD. That is a big problem, isn't it? I think so. Hey, wait, people are listening. Hey, guys. Hey, how you doing out there in TV land? Yes. Yeah, because, I guess so. Cause we can say TV land because that's what this episode is about. There's a little change of pace here, folks. Usually we're talking about movies, mm-hmm. but not today. Yes, most of you who are just joined us because we've become part of the Earth2.net community of podcasters do not know this, but roughly about twice, maybe three times a year, Derek and I do venture into the TV realms. In fact, we're going to talk a bit about that wonderful thing called DVDs and why certain TV shows aren't on it. But first, this is my good friend, uh, Andre Broderick. I mean, sorry, Derek Ferguson. <laughs> and this is my good friend, Tom DJ, who bears an uncanny <laughs> resemblance and attitude to James Spader. <laughs> and this is, of course, the latest episode of Better in the Dark. That's a joke that you'd have to go on our Facebook right. pages to get, folks. Which that's a, that's a little can, inside joke. In which you can, of course, join us on, which is one of the many ways you can get in touch with us. But we'll get to that at the end of the episode. Okay. Let's talk a bit about why this episode has come to be. It came to be because we have a message board. Mm-hmm. And as we get so many good ideas right. for our podcast, it comes from our listeners. Right. Now, our message board is separate from the Earth2.net message board because we started it a long time ago. And we're very loyal to the people who started it for us. Mr. Eric Frome. Yay. So you can go to betterinthedark.proboards.com. And sign up. It takes only five seconds. 
It's loads of fun. We do read every single post that is made there. Absolutely. And we definitely listen. And a lot of times, episodes come from suggestions that people make. Like James Dye has made a reference. I think this might be a good thing we might want to put down for either this coming Halloween or later about doing the George Romero films that weren't zombie movies. Ah, yeah, like Martin. Right, and... Knight Riders. Monkey Shine. Dark Half, all those Right, yeah, he's made quite a few movies outside mm-hmm. of the zombie over that he's that primarily be, known for. That might be an interesting idea to do. This comes from a discussion that Derek and I had, where we were discussing the fact that, given the advances in DVD software, nothing is lost forever anymore. Which, actually, I really like because... Mm-hmm. There have been so many shows that I remember, and people have told me I'm crazy. You you know, you be talking to somebody, you say, well, don't you remember such and such a show? Oh, man, there was never a show like that. And now you can whip out the DVD and say, ha! Right, yeah, look at that. What do you think now, there, <laughs> monkey boy? Back in the day, you know, us, we're going to get to do our old folks hats here for a second. Yeah. If you were a fan of an obscure TV show, and that show got canceled, you were out of luck. There was no syndication market that would accept a 20-episode show. I was a big fan of the Cold Jack the Night Stalker series. Once that got canceled in 76, I didn't see it again until, like, 1990. When the Sci-Fi Channel... When, came. Actually, when CBS picked it up first. Right, because they... A late night. Friday oh, right, night, Friday night. Movie. Yeah, the Friday yeah. night movies. I remember. After that, once CBS stopped doing that and went with a talk show format, it was gone forever. Because for our younger viewers... And I know that you are going to react in horror when I tell you this. Way back in the day, mm-hmm. when dinosaurs ruled the earth, there were only five channels mm-hmm. on TV. There was no satellite. There was no cable. There was no VHS at that time. Right. There was nothing. So once your show got canceled, that's it. You never saw it again. And even when VHS became very popular, doing these episode collections was very prohibitive because of the size of the VHS. Of the tape, yeah. Granted, it's not that they didn't try. I mean, remember, we had, like, Star Trek VHS. Yes. As a matter of fact, that was one of the first ones I remember that came because it was so popular. Right. Everybody wanted to see Star Trek. Yeah. But DVD, because it was a digital media, allows a lot of information to be put on a small object. So all of a sudden, it became an option to have series sets. Right. Especially stuff that you don't see anymore, like Have Gone Will Travel, right. my favorite western, The Wild Wild West. One of my absolute favorite discoveries was when Anchor Bay decided six or seven years ago to put both seasons of Crime Story. There you go. Probably my second favorite TV show of all time. Way ahead of its time. Now, TV shows on DVD is a major portion of the DVD business. Yeah. So, I mean, if you go into places like yeah. FYE or mm-hmm. Walmart or Target, they've got whole sections devoted to video. TV or DVD. You go into a Hollywood video, what's the biggest section for rental? It's not drama, it's not horror, it's not action, it's TV shows. And you know what I actually know quite a few people do? My wife, Patricia, does this herself. She fell in love with 24. Right. She waits until the entire season is over with. Then she waits until the DVD comes out. Mm -hmm. She gets that, and then she watches it. And I know quite a few people that do that. They don't watch the show all during the season. They'd rather wait until it's over. Right. And then either rent or buy that season and sit there and blast through a whole season in one weekend. And for me, I don't have cable. That's a godsend if I want to see something like Dexter. Dexter, right. Where I'll just wait till the season gets released and start renting them out from Netflix. Or like Deadwood, which of course featured a small turn by my beloved Kristen Bell. How come nobody told me Deadwood was so damn good? I didn't know until after the fact. It was the Joffrey Street guys who brought it up to me. I've been watching it because I have DirecTV folks. Mm -hmm. They have their own channel. They have what they call the 101... Network. Right. And lately, they have been showing Dexter, they're showing Deadwood, and they're showing Oz. Oz I've seen before on DVDs. I've never seen Deadwood. I did not know how good they were. And they showed, and, un- you know, and they I showed mean, uncut, mind you, in the original. Who's such a big Western fan. Oh, that must be Nirvana for you. Oh, yeah. I mean, I love Westerns, too. Nowhere near to the fanaticism and devotion that you right. the genre. I heard that this was something that would be cool for me because it's almost like the hard-boiled detective show. It is. It is. Set in it the is. West. That. Ian McShane, yeah. who I remember way years ago from Lovejoy. He's right. great in this. Timothy Oliphant, who I couldn't stand a Hitman, <laughs> but I love him in this one. He plays a badass in this one, but for some reason he's more convincing than he was in Hitman. Right. And one of the great things is recently we are seeing old lost shows coming back right. on the SDVE set. Just a few weeks ago, the week after my birthday, 
they released, finally, the first season of another one of my top five favorite shows ever in the history of the world, The Great Parker, Parker Lewis, Lewis Can't, Can't Lose. Lose. That must have been a great birthday present oh, for yeah. you. I was trying to get it for free from Dennis, who was like, Dennis, you know it's my birthday. It's like, yeah, like, right? I ain't giving it to you, Tom. You gotta pay for it. <laughs> <laughs> and I've been watching that show. Other than the fact that Melanie Charter was suspicious in her absence and the participation for the commentaries, <laughs> if I had a principal like her, I would have stayed in Oh, man. No, I would have... No. Intentionally been left back. I'd have stayed in trouble. Yeah. So I could get sent to her office every day. I'd have been in Miss Musso's office but every day. You know what's day. funny about Parker Lewis is that with the exception of the current references, like there's references to various celebrities and stuff, it's still seems very timeless. It's ahead of its time. In fact, it does because it's using all these camera tricks and shooting methods that are standard now. That are standard, very standard now. And it's just very strange seeing very little seems to have changed. Although, of course, Mila Jovovich changed because she's in the pilot. She yeah. looks like all about three. Parker Lewis ran for three seasons. Yeah. Ran for three seasons, yes. And it was so the first four years. It was the first two that was the best because the third yeah. one, they changed the title to just, just Parker, Parker Lewis, Lewis and it became more like a standard teen high school Parker Lewis dramedy. had this situation much like Wise Guy, which we discussed in episode 10. For those of you who are earth2.net people. I'm sure Michael David Sisters already put up the archives, so go back to episode 10 where we talk about the development of serialized drama in television. Ha! Didn't know we were so brilliant, did ya? <laughs> you know how, like, with Wise Guy, the networks kept coming in and demanding more and more changes until it became just any old show? Yeah. There was a commentary on one of the episodes where Troy Slayton, of all people, the guy who played Jerry, yeah. mentioned that the show was so expensive to produce... That Fox never quite liked it. Mm. They liked the ratings it got. Yeah. And they liked the notoriety that the show had gotten because it was one of the first early internet hits. They didn't care for the fact that the show was costing them money, so they kept picking and making changes, and that led to that horrible third season, which was yeah, just... Yeah, yeah, where it was just... Came back for that third season, and I said, my God, what happened? I mean, the brilliant surrealism, yeah. because in his heyday, Parker Lewis was really a live-action right. cartoon. Although, admittedly, the six-episode summer arc they showed during that summer, mm -hmm. just before the third season began, was actually pretty cool. We're not talking about shows that are already on DVD, but it is, but Parker Lewis can't lose. And if you've never seen this before, this is your homework assignment. Go rent Parker Go rent. Lewis, can't lose, if and watch it. If you love the late, great John Hughes, yeah. This was the show that was on the same year that the Ferris Bueller TV show was on, and it did Ferris Bueller better than Ferris Bueller. Yeah, sure, certainly did. But before we dive into the actual... Meat and potatoes. Meat and potatoes, because what's going to happen is Derek and I are going to talk about two shows we want to see on DVD. Mm -hmm. And then we're going to go to our message board. We do have a very brief piece of listener mail. See, we told you we read the right. stuff. And we read it on the air. Live, uncut, and coming straight and this at is you. from an official great, great man of Better in the Dark, Des Reddick. Him again! Him again, whose excellent horror-based podcast, Dread Media, is available here on Earth2.net. He does this whole great Clive Barker. Yes. Episode. Which we participated in. We did? Yes, see, we did. Now, see, I wasn't going to mention that, but hey. He kept the part about the baboon butt. He did? Yes. Uh, okay. Des writes, yo, you guys mentioned on the last Bond episode, which was episode number 62, that you were talking to an author about an adaptation of his work, and the description of him made it sound like Ed Lee. Is that the case? Just wondering, because today I got a copy of Header and his latest novella, <laughs> Folly number 1852. I'm having an Edward Lee kind of day. Well, we're not making any promises, Des. That is the person we're trying to get to sit down with us. We're hoping to get it done for the first Halloween episode. But we're not making any guarantees. We do want to get more authors involved, more guests as a whole, which is why we have Michael Bailey coming in for our Thanksgiving Spectacular, where we cover... Superman in the media. Yeah, Tom and I, so far we've been very happy with how our guest hosts have interacted with us, and we are planning on doing more with a variety of people. Ed is one of those. Tom is working on that even as we speak, because right. Tom actually has spoken to him a before long, yeah, in, in the past. relationship Yeah, with but again, we want to stress, we're not making any promises, but as soon as it's locked it down... May, we were you, hoping it's yeah. going to be Halloween, but we're not making any promises. It might not be till next year. Because let me tell you something, Des. Tom let me borrow Hitter. He said, <laughs> I'm not going to tell you anything about it, Dirk. He said, I just want you to... I actually was afraid you weren't going to like it. 
not to go into great details, I'm going to save that for yeah. another time. But I just want to tell y'all folks out there that this is a movie I can't say I can recommend it wholeheartedly. But it's a movie that you should see at least once. Yes. <laughs> for reasons that will become quite apparent when once you, you see, see it. it. Yes. But I have to admit, this is one of the few movies I have ever seen that I watched where my mouth was actually hanging open. And I say that's no hyperbole <laughs> at all. My mouth was literally open for the last 45 minutes of yes. this movie in disbelief at what I was watching. And it is available on Netflix, so... Yeah. All I can say is go for it. <laughs> so there you go, Des. Hopefully we'll be able to bring you that goodness in October. So, let's talk about some lost and forgotten TV shows. Tom, you can go first. Okay. Because I know this is a show that you and I have discussed many mm-hmm. times as one of your favorites. And, and one talk- of mine as well. We're talking about 1996's The Burning Zone. And to talk about The Burning Zone, we have to talk about the UPN Network. Which ah, is no yes. longer in existence. It was folded into the, the CW, which also no longer well, exists. CW is in existence, but it's only a matter of time, it seems. Yeah, and as a matter of fact, it's only a certain hour, because now the station is going back to PIX 11. Yeah, our, that's just our New York the home, affiliate. The yeah, home of, of the, the CW. W- uh, <laughs> well, the thing about the WB and UPN and even Fox is mm-hmm. that they're almost called netlets in the business because they only broadcast two hours as opposed to three hours. NBC is now switching to do that because they've got the Jay Leno show stripped Monday through Friday. UPN was the brainchild of Paramount Pictures who decided to have their own network after the success of Fox. Their first three shows, which was in the fall of 1995, were Pigpen, a show about a bunch of guys living in New York who decide to share an apartment together. Don't remember that. And their sexy janitor lady, played by Liz Vassy. Platypus Man. Richard Jennings. Richie Jennings' only starring TV show. Right. A little moment for Richard Jennings. Yeah. Tragically committed suicide. Very, very funny man. And, of course, Star Trek Voyager. That was UPN's big trump card. Right. That was the anchor for the whole... They basically told people... That's how they sold the idea of this network. If you sign up with us, you get every new Star Trek show from now on. And in fact, the last two Star Trek shows, Voyager and Enterprise, were exclusive to UPN. Mm-hmm. Only broadcast on those two nights, Monday and... Wednesday. They added Tuesday in 1996, and one of the shows was The Burning Zone, produced by Coleman Luck. Most people consider this to be noteworthy only for the fact that it is the first ripoff of the X-Files. Well, I think that's what a lot of people just dismissed it as right. being, without watching it and coming to understand and appreciate it for what it really was, because as you and I have said many times, I found the concept behind it absolutely yeah. fascinating. There is an X-Files element to it, but there's also an element... Outbreak. It was Outbreak. Outbreak, with, Outbreak with Dustin Hoffman. Dustin Hoffman. There was that novel, The Hot Zone. Right, it was a novel. Virology was very much in the news and very yeah. much uh, popular culture at the time. Because the Ebola virus right. was running rampant at that time also, too. Exactly. So everybody was really interested in microorganisms and virology, like you said, all, right. that, all that kind of stuff. The Burning Zone was a science fiction show built around the concept of virology. And in the first episode... I know you really love. They postulated the fact that there was a super virus mm-hmm. that had been dormant for so many years mm-hmm. that was supposed to be the the brain of all the viruses. Of all the viruses. And it was actually intelligent and there was a plan behind these outbreaks. These so-called random outbreaks in these different countries weren't random at all. Right. <laughs> and to deal with the sudden influx of new diseases and new medical problems, the Department of Health commissions a special team to go into the quote-unquote the burning zone headed by dr daniel cassian played very well by michael harris who is kind of like lance hendrickson if you couldn't get lance hendrickson (laughs) that's a good way to put it he had a security head who was played by jack black not the fat Jack Black. Not Jack Black, you think The of. bald, black, kicking much ass Jack Black. These are the only two characters that were in all 23 episodes. They originally employed two virologists. Jeffrey D. Morgan, our old friend. Ah, who went on to great success in Watchmen. In Watchmen and Supernatural. Played Dr. Edward Marquez. The interesting thing about Dr. Edward Marquez is he's the only person who have survived Ebola. And Dr. Kimberly Sharoma, played by Tamlin Tomita. Ah, who had shot this pilot and the pilot for Babylon 5 at the same time. And when both got picked up, she chose to go with the show. 
Ask her now which one she wish she had taken. <laughs> now, The Burning Zone is a very low-budget show, and it was one of these shows that over-relied on CGI. But it was very intelligent. Yeah. There's some shows I love watching because mm-hmm. this and The West Wing and a right. few other shows, like House, makes me feel smarter after yeah. I watch it. There was also an over-arc involving The Dawn, which was this conspiracy among scientists that decided that humanity had caused so much damage to Mother Earth that they decided to give Mother Earth a rest and destroy humanity. Yeah. Except for them, of course. Of course, of course. Because somebody's got to be around Mm -hmm. to make sure that Mother Earth is okay after we wipe out the rest of humanity. So for the first 11 episodes, they went around the country Mm -hmm. and they examined all these different bizarre phenomena like spontaneous human combustion. There's that one episode where... There's this outbreak of violence in Philadelphia, and they find out that it's because somebody is feeding people the fruit from the tree of knowledge. From the tree of knowledge. Isn't that the one which McCall plays the devil? Yes, Rene Abadois. Right, from Star Trek. There's this really fascinating episode. That was a weird one. Where they talk about using genetic material to reconstruct a person's face, where they're trying to find a serial killer who has kidnapped Dr. Sharoma. These were really great episodes, but UPM wasn't happy. So they pulled the show. When it came back, gone was Dr. Sharoma, gone was Dr. Marquez. In their place was Dr. Brian Taft, played by Bradford Tatum. Gone were the smart episodes. In was a lot of the NYPD blue Dutch angles and shaky cam and all that bullshit. The biggest problem with these episodes was that it wasn't enough that there was like some horrible medical problem happening around the country. Each one had to have a personal connection to one of the three members of the team. Because they had to make the characters quote-unquote relatable. Relatable. So it wasn't enough that people were having uh, outbreaks of brittle bones, which were causing them to literally break when they stepped outside to take a walk. One of the victims had to be an ex-girlfriend of Agent Michael Haley. It wasn't enough that there was this alien virus. One of the the victims had to be the ex-girlfriend of Dr. Taft. Those last nine I could do without, to be honest. But those first 11 are some really... Even if you forgive the cheap-ass special effects, there's that one episode where Marques falls prey to this hallucinogen that had broken out in an office building Mm -hmm. and begins to hallucinate about his parents' death. Yeah. The the medicine man of the village where his parents died (laughs) are saying, you must sacrifice yourself. Mm-hmm. You must join your family. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a great... And he's saying, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. This show was a staple of the Sci-Fi Channel for a long time. Yeah, they re-ran the hell out. Which I didn't complain yeah. about, because I got to see a couple of episodes, except from that last dismal nine or ten yeah. episodes. So I really didn't watch a lot of them. But I said, but since they're rerunning them, right. just let me watch it for completeness. That's tape. how I got my VHS tape of the complete season. Okay. Is so I just said, I've got to do this, because who knows when it'll... Come back. Yeah, exactly. After they re-ran it, oh, I don't know how many times, I guess that their rights lapsed. And of course, we haven't seen it since. So this is a great show. It's definitely much, much better than a lot of the X-Files shows that showed up in the wake of the X-Files. I never was much yeah. of a big X-Files fan. Anyway, I would much rather watch The Burning Zone yes. with something like our beloved Fringe, which is going to be coming yes. back this season. Now, Fringe, to me, yeah. I'm finally getting around to watching the final episode, so I'm getting to see this alternative. Yeah. Did you see the last About one? halfway through the last episode. Oh, okay. So, I'm getting the impression that there is this, you know, scene, like, where she's, like, having, like, the two conversations with the same yeah, person. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I'm getting the impression that there is this sort of, like, split somewhere. When you get to that last shot, you're going to say, oh, shit. Okay. <laughs> All right, is it my turn? It's your turn, my friend. All right, then. For my first show, for those of you who have been listening to this show for a while, you know that I have a great love of pulps and cliffhangers from the 1930s and 40s and that whole kind of stuff. For you new ones, well, now you know. For those of you who don't know, by some chance, here is what a cliffhanger was. During the 30s and 40s, you would go to the movie theaters and you would see your double feature. Yeah, that was your entertainment. That was your television. Right. People today complain about this movie was too long. People back in the 30s and 40s went to the movies on a Saturday and stayed all day right. long, literally. Because there was no TV. And, and you got to see a double feature. You got to see cartoons. You got to see a newsreel. Mm-hmm. And you also got to see a serial, which is 
a 12-part movie. Mm-hmm. The episodes were usually 15, 20 minutes in length. What would happen is that at the end of that particular chapter that you went to see, the hero would be in some sort of peril. Either he'd be in a car going off a cliff, or he'd be tied up to a chair, and mm-hmm. the warehouse is full of dynamite, and the right. fuse is only an inch. Or the girl was tied to the railroad tracks. Right. Or the good guy would be hanging off of a cliff, and the bad guy stepping on his fingers, which is where... They got their name Cliffhangers. Some of the more famous ones is Flash Gordon. Right. Well, Starring Buster Crab, who had three cereals. For me, who never got a chance to see them in the theater, my first exposure to Saturday morning cereals was when PBS showed the three Flash Gordon cereals and Zorro and the Legion of Gold. Right. And they played the hell out of those. It was Zorro's the- Fighting Legion. It was Zorro's Fighting Legion. That's it was Zorro's Fighting Legion. Okay, because what they would do, folks, was that, especially TV, right. that at the time was looking for a lot of material, they would edit these serials to make feature films out of them. Hell, it was a common... Because on Channel 9, yeah. way back in the day, during the 60s and 70s, mm-hmm. that's where I saw stuff like Spy Smasher right. and PBS, which showed like Flash Gordon. Mm-hmm. Flash Gordon Conquers the Universe. Well, that was, for me, those Daredevils at a Red Circle. Right. Those were fascinating for me because you saw them the way that people were seeing them in the theaters as weekly episodes. Right. When PBS showed it. Because they would show yeah. it right before Monty Python. Yeah. They would show one chapter a week. Right. right. So now you folks get what I'm talking about. Now, of course, as movies evolved and change, the cliffhangers fell out of favor. Matter of fact, I think they stopped making The last one was like in the late 50s. The last serial ever produced was Blackhawk. Which okay. was shot in 1952, I think. Yeah, no, you're, yes. yeah you're right. And, uh, Black Starring Hulk, Kurt, Kurt Allen, who also plays Superman right. in two serials that were mm-hmm. made, which were notable for the fact that when he flew, right. Kirk Allen would run behind a rock and mm-hmm. an animated yes. Superman would take off and fly, and then he would land mm-hmm. behind a rock or a building, and then when he stepped behind, then it was the live-action Kirk Allen. <laughs> yeah, we'll be talking more fully about the serials when Michael Bailey joins us in yeah. November. Right. Now, the Saturday morning serials, as movies evolved, they fell out of favor. People stopped going to watch it. However, in 1979, NBC revived the concept with a television show that was called, most appropriately, Cliffhangers. Mm-hmm. And what it did was that it tried to revive the movie serial genre in a TV format. Each hour-long episode was divided into three 20-minute stories. Right. And two of them started right in the middle of their storylines. Only one of them ran completely during the run of Cliffhangers from beginning to the end. Which was the Curse of Dracula story Michael Nouri. Mm-hmm. As Count Dracula, who was living undercover as a college professor in yeah. San Francisco. And I think he's probably the only person who has had a big career after that. Because he's been in several TV shows. Yeah, as a matter of fact, Michael Nouri right now, he's on Damages with Glenn right. Close on FX. Yeah, so he's still better. Susan Anton, who was in Stop Susan William. She had a pretty good career during the 70s and 80s. Right. But yeah, she kind of like died out too. Although for some reason, the thing I remember her most for is being the sort of sleeper gal. You're right. <laughs> right. Her story, Stop Susan Williams, she was a TV journalist investigating the murder of a brother, right. and she stumbled on this vast international conspiracy, and I think they started that one with episode three or four. The Curse of Dracula mm-hmm. was the only one that had 12 complete episodes, right. and they actually edited that one into a TV movie. Same thing with Susan. Right, Stop right. Susan Williams was also done too. The third one was called The Secret Empire, and this is interesting because it was the only one that was actually based on an actual original Saturday morning right. serial. The original Secret Empire starred Gene Autry, the famous singing cowboy. Mm-hmm. It was about a U.S. Marshal in the Old West who discovers this futuristic underground city with this subterranean race who of course were plotting to take over the surface world they had him going back and forth between the surface world and the underground city the scenes that were shot on the surface world were in black and white but when you went to the underground city it changed the color Mm -hmm. all three of them were nice goofy fun for me I like seeing the whole thing being revived okay only one of the three series began with the first chapter Stop Susan Williams and the Secret Empire started with chapter three Three. and the curse of Dracula with chapter Six. six yeah okay and that was the only one we got to see the ending, and then they just started at number one again. Right. The series was canceled after only ten episodes, mm-hmm. at which point only The Curse of Dracula had reached its conclusion. However, one unaired episode 
which did air overseas, features the two concluding chapters of The Secret Empire, as well as the final part of Stop Susan Williams. American viewers later got a chance to see the concluding part of Stop Susan Williams in the TV movie The Girl Who Saved the World, which re-edited the 11 installments into a single two-hour movie. Curse of Dracula was also re-edited as two TV movies for latency. Oh, wow. The reason why this did not work is something that we're going to see time and again when we go look at this, which is that it was an expensive show to produce. Yes, like with Parker Lewis. At the time, it was the most expensive TV series produced. Of course, they needed three separate production units. They were basically making three separate TV shows. You and I both remember when we were kids what they used to call the summer theater, where they would take all the busted pilots Mm -hmm. and they would show them during the summer instead of reruns. Right. I think this was their sneaky way of doing these pilots, so they figured, hey, if people really like this one, we'll just spin it off. Well, that's what the hope was, was that they thought that if Stop Susan Williams caught on, well, okay, we could spin her off into her own hour show, or The Curse of Dracula. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, some genius in programming programmed this show opposite Happy Days (laughs) and Laverne Shirley. Which at the time were ratings gods. As a matter of fact, for most of their run, they just traded the number one and two slots Mm -hmm. back and forth. One week, Laverne and Shirley be number one, Happy Days be number two. Well, there was that period when Gary Marshall ruled television. Just like there was that period when Aaron Spelling ruled television. There was that period where Norman Lear. Everybody had their time. And this was Mm -hmm. Gary Marshall's. He had, what, four hit shows on at the same time? And the thing was... He was using Happy Days as a spin-off farm. Here's two characters. There's Laverne and Shirley. Here's two characters. Here's Johnny Looks Chachi. Here's a character. Here's Morgan Mindy. This is a show. I love the concept of cliffhangers. If I ran a network, I'd have me on a program mm-hmm. like Cliffhangers. I wouldn't care how much it costs. Mm-hmm. I'd break the bank doing it. I think that something like this would probably work today if they brought the concept back. Because now people are accustomed to serialized right, dramas. Exactly. Okay, lost. That will end on a cliffhanger. People will wait a year. Right. To come back and see it. Now people are used to it. So it's not a stretch to think that people wouldn't come back next week. Right, to see what happens. Right, especially if they got to wait like a whole summer mm-hmm. or six months to wait to see what happens to their favorite character. That's my first okay. show I want to see on DVD. Okay, my second one brings us to the land of syndication. It's odd that both of my shows were broadcast in WWR here in New York because I'm going to be talking about the Canadian-produced show My Secret Identity. Oh, yeah. Which lasted from 1988 to 1991, which was the first television starring role for a man who has become quite successful in television. Since then, one Jerry O'Connell. Don't you remember how he was such a cute, pudgy yeah. kid and uh, there by, by me? Yeah. <laughs> That was one of the big selling points when they brought this to the, uh, the Natsby market that year, was that, we got the kid from Stand By Me. And no, not the good-looking one, the chubby one. And know something? It was almost scary to see how fast he developed overnight yeah. from that pudgy kid to this tall, mm-hmm. buff, kind of hunky, good-looking guy. This was part of that whole mid-to-late 80s outbreak of syndication, where all of a sudden it became cost-effective to create shows for syndication. Syndication Physics had gone so market-worthy that it was possible to create a show. Many of these shows were busted pilots for the networks that they just threw out there, like, oh, uh, Little Wonder. Yeah, right. That was the little girl who was a robot. robot. Yeah. And also, these things ran forever. Yeah. Like, some of these shows I would look at and say, my God, is this thing still on? Nightman. Nightman was on for five years. Jesus Christ, that was a horrible show. And that was a show so bad that Marvel didn't even want to support it with a comic book. It was one of their that, properties. That, that's, yeah, that's how bad it was. For those of you who may have forgotten or don't even know, Saturday and Sunday was a syndication mm-hmm. goldmine. That's all you saw was yeah. syndicated shows. A lot of movie studios started pulling old franchises and dusting them off and reworking them as a syndicated show. So you had Friday the 13th, the series. The series. You had Fred- Poltergeist, The Legacy. Freddy's Nightmares. Freddy's Nightmares, which we'll talk about a little bit later. Which, in all of these cases, except for Freddy's Nightmare, had nothing to do yeah. with the movies. Poltergeist right. the Legacy has nothing to do. Poltergeist the Legacy <laughs> owed more to the X-Files than to the actual Poltergeist movie series. Friday the 13th had absolutely nothing oh, yeah. to do with... Ma- the one thing that we should note about Friday the 13th, the series, which is available on DVD, mm-hmm. is that it was one of the very rare times that David Cronenberg directed television of any sort. It was a good show, don't yeah. get me wrong. He directed you know, an episode about the... Knives of Jack the Ripper. Yeah. I like the concept of the show. Right. And the girl, Roby, 
you know, she was hot, you know, the redhead. Mm-hmm. But the only connection the show had to the movies was when they had the opening credits yeah. and it was going through the shop. You saw briefly the Jason and Hockey Mask. Yeah. That was it. But mm-hmm. otherwise, these shows had no relation to the... Right. They just took the title and slapped it on any old thing and said, okay, well... We hope people will watch. My Secret Identity, which was shot in and around Toronto, was the story of Andrew Clements, who was a young boy who was a comic book fan, a real geek who lived next door to Dr. Benjamin Jeffcoat, played by Derek McGrath, who was a veteran of the Second City comedy troupe. And he does odd jobs for Dr. Jeffcoat. He gets into an accident involving one of his experiments and gains superpowers. Dr. Jeff goes, no, no, you can reveal what's going on. We'll try to cure you. And he's going, what are you talking about, uh, cure me? Because if it turns out that the kid died from bone yeah, cancer or, or leukemia later on, he doesn't want to go to yes. jail. <laughs> Andrew's like, what are you talking about? Uh, he even picks out his own superhero name. Ultraman. Ultraman. At first, his powers are, if I remember correctly, he's invulnerable. Mm-hmm. And he can float. He can kind of hover. Mm-hmm. But he, he can, finds he a way. He can actually fly. Yeah. But he learns how to fly by taking aerosol cans and yeah. spraying them out. I guess he does the Wonder Woman thing. Remember the comics back in the mm-hmm. 60s that said she didn't fly, she'd glide on the air curve? How does a 140-pound woman glide on I, the air curve? And you figure Wonder Woman being super strong must have had denser muscles than most. So she probably was heavier than 140 yeah. pounds. Yeah, how do you glide on air curve? Yeah. Heck, she was made out of clay. Or, but yeah, anyway. like Gumby. <laughs> Now, that's an image I did not want to have in my head. <laughs> well, Gump is a little group was made out of clay. I've got Wonder Woman and a little orange horse in my head. Thank you. That'd be a hell of a team up right there. <laughs> Wonder Woman and Gumby. But anyway. I'd pay a dollar for uh, that. It was a sitcom, so a lot of the humor revolved around, of course, Andrew's home life with his single mother and his sister. And going out and trying to do good while Dr. Jeff goes like, oh, no, no, you can't, you can't, like, let the world yeah, know. Yeah, yeah. The weird thing about this show is it was a superhero show that didn't want to be a superhero show. During the first season, there was, like, an episode where Andrew meets his hero, who was the actor who played Solar Man. There was also, I think, another episode where Stan Lee is involved in some way. The producers kept picking away at it until, by the third season... He's more interested in extreme sports, and the the superpowers are very downplayed. It becomes almost just like any other sitcom. But it had a lot of charm. Jerry O'Connell is one of the most likable actors working in television. And oftentimes, I watch a show just because he's in it, just because he's just that likable. It's not for nothing that the man has consistently worked throughout his career. He's just one of those actors that you know 50 years from now, he's still going to be working. working. He'll be on like the revived Sliders as the father of the new Quinn Mellon. Exactly. Something like that. Yeah. He was on Sliders for a long time. He was on Sliders for all three of the Fox years and the first year of the Sci-Fi Channel year. And then they hired his brother to play his actual brother on the show. show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The Sci-Fi Channel, Yeah. yeah. So that's my secret identity. It's kind of charming. It's only a half an hour long, so it doesn't not say it's welcome, and I'd like to see it back on DVD. I remember watching it, and it would come on Saturday. Usually, I would have it on while I was cleaning the house mm-hmm. or doing something else. It wasn't one of those shows where I said, oh, I gotta sit down and watch. Right. But it's a nice little show to have in the background while you're doing something else, right. and you see something on there that makes you chuckle. It's a nice little time waster. Okay. Nothing wrong with it. So, my second show is a show that when I tell people about this, this is one of these shows... Mm-hmm. That me and Tom were saying this earlier. I tell people about these shows and they say, ah, oh, that show is never on. Thank God now we got the internet and we got the internet movie right. database so that I call up this information and say to people, see, this show mm-hmm. did exist. Right. Okay, first of all, it was during that period, you probably remember this, Tom. Right. Remember that there was a period where they had shows with rotating stars? Well, that was when they were Like still, the name of the game? Right. That was still when it was acceptable for an anthology show to be on the air. The idea was, yeah, this was kind of like an anthology show without being an anthology show. So you have the name again, which is about reporters, and there were three different reporters to rotate uh, episodes. It the, was Gene Barry, who, incidentally, in one of the episodes of that show, was directed by Steven Spielberg. Right. And, of course, let's not forget the Sunday Mystery Movie. Right. McMillan and White, right. Colombo, McCloud. Banich- originally it was Banachek, wasn't it? Banachek and McCloud. McCloud, yeah. yeah. They spun Banachek off to his own series, mm-hmm. and then it became McCloud for a long time. Right. But you also had these other likely, you had Heck Ramsey. Heck Ramsey, right, with Richard the- Boone. Mm-hmm who has said in interviews that that's Paladin from Afghan Will Trout, an older Paladin who's changed his name and moved to another mm-hmm. town for whatever reason. There was a Western also, too, where the three guys, they rotated the lead. You came back every Oh, okay, yeah, I know what you're talking about. Yeah. yeah. Also, for a while, Maverick was like that, too. Because you had Roger Moore, Roger Moore, and you had James Garner. You had James Garner, mm-hmm. Roger Moore, and Jack Kelly. 
Right, and depending upon who you were following, it would dictate the kind of adventure you were going to go right. on. Right, because James Garner's tended to be a little bit more comedic, right. and Roger Moore's was a little bit more serious, mm-hmm. and Jack Kelly's was kind of facilitated one week when one right. adventure, it'd be real hardcore, and another one would be comedic. The show I want to talk about is in that format in that we had three leads revolving and every week it was a different guy playing it. The show is called Search, a TV series that aired from 1972 and 1973 on Wednesday nights on NBC. The two-hour pilot film was called Probe, which they changed for... because it, PBS had a... PBS, that was the name of an existing PBS series, so they changed the title of this show to Search. It was created by Leslie Stevens, who created The Name of the Game, which we just talked about. And The Outer Limits, let's not forget. That's right. The series centered on an organization called World Securities Corporation, a high-tech private investigation organization that had field operatives that had implanted audio receivers and carried these tiny little video cameras Mm -hmm. that they could put on their tie clip or just wear on their body, wear as a pendant. And what it would do was that, okay, the whole idea was this. Burgess Meredith, who played the director of this organization, ran probe control. And in probe control, they could hear and see whatever the operative was hearing and seeing at the same time. In probe control, he had all these different people that were experts in various fields. So say the operative of the week is in the art gallery, and he Mm -hmm. has to pretend to be an art expert. Well, Burgess Meredith has got this art expert next to him feeding the guy information so that whoever he's talking to says, oh, this guy knows his shit. Mm -hmm. But actually, he doesn't know a damn thing. (laughs) He's just repeating what he's saying. But it's a hell of an intriguing idea for... A spy series. It sounds vaguely like a very, very primitive version of that Warren Ellis series that they actually did a TV pilot for called Global Frequency. Global Frequency, yeah. When I read Global Frequency, I said, damn, I wonder did he ever watch Probe when, you know, I wonder did he ever watch it when he was a kid. Would it surprise me given Warren Ellis' fetishistic love of technology? And this show, it was, for its time, pretty high-tech. These guys with the implants in their head and the cameras that they carried around. And also, Burgess Miller, he was the guy in charge, and he worked out at this really high-tech control center that looked like it was something out of NASA. The three leads of the show were you O'Brien, Tony Francioso, and Doug McClure. And depending on who it was, you got a different type of adventure. You right. O'Brien was the lead operative, and he got the James Bond right. type of jet-setting, going all over the world. World, saving the world from supervillains type of adventures. Tony Francioso was Nick Bianco, mm-hmm. and he specialized in organized crime. So he dealt with stuff that dealt with the mafia and more gritty down-to-earth type of thing. Doug McClure, unfortunately, was the standby. He was the guy that got the shit assignments. That- McClure, <laughs> take out the trash. Yeah, yeah, exactly. There's a leaky faucet up here. Go on, go get it. <laughs> Whatever Will O'Brien's character or Tony Francioso's character didn't do, Doug McClure had to clean up. So there was absolutely no telling what job he would get from week to week. Well, given how bad an actor Doug McClure is, I can understand why he was the emergency backup guy. Yes, Doug McClure was not exactly the best actor, and he wasn't really that good. But the show was entertaining. I think that having the three leads like that gave it a freshness. Because mm-hmm. you never got the same guy every week, right. so it wasn't always predictable. You had you O'Brien's character. One week he might be on this island fighting this madman trying to take over the world with his super laser. And then next week is Tony Franciosa. He's in Chicago right. trying to bring down a mob boss. Mm-hmm. You, and, and then to Grover and, taking and, out and, the trash. And <laughs> then we get the Doug McClure who might be going undercover at a circus right. to, to figure out why people are poisoning elephants for some right. reason. <laughs> like that. And, you we got, need an elephant sweeper. Go, McClure. Go on. That show, I'd like to see that concept brought mm-hmm. back, especially now with the technology that we've got instead of the video cameras and the implants, maybe the Operatives can be injected with nanobots or something or like that. Or they could be like special contact lenses with like heads up. This, in fact, this could be a cool movie. We've talked to John Drew about John coming on and doing an episode with us about adaptations of TV shows. Why they always do these big popular TV, well, because of their recognizable names, but Ooh, yeah. why they don't do stuff like this where you have these like interesting ideas mm-hmm. that were never fully realized because of the budget or because of the time. Could you imagine a big screen thing, all the high tech and stuff? Yeah, well, that that's what I'm saying. Yeah. And then that technology we right. have now, this is a concept that I could see it could be a big budget Mission Impossible type mm-hmm. of movie or even bring it back as a TV show. I like that idea with the contact context. lenses that have the heads up display right in there. Yeah. So, you can, <laughs> so anyways, that's my second think, show. Let me ask you this, though. Do you think that maybe the fact that it didn't succeed is because it was coming in at the tail end of 
the spy craze, uh, and because spy fatigue had kind of set in at this point? I think so, because we had the late 60s. Because you had, in the 60s, you had the Avengers, and the, the Man from Uncle. The Man from Uncle, and the Wild Wild West, yeah. and all. Maybe by that time, people kind of were all spied out. Yeah. It was an idea that come and gone, and even with the added technological edge, that wasn't enough to keep the show alive. And it's interesting how every couple of years, somebody tries to revive the spy show. It doesn't necessarily work. Usually when it does no, work... No, it doesn't, yeah. With something like, let's say, Scarecrow and Mrs. King, mm-hmm. or Alias, it's because it's a spy show with something else. Well, Alias, I never really... I, never, I could never get into Alias. No, and I think I've probably said this before, but I'll say it again. Because I had seen La Femme de Quito, mm-hmm. the TV series, and I enjoyed it, and I saw no reason right. why I should watch it all over again. And second of all, Jennifer Gardner, I'm sorry, she looks like somebody, her plastic surgeon, just in the middle of a sex change operation yeah. since... Woman's got a man jaw. Screw this. Yeah. And just left her like that. I know? I know why all the guys, because all the guys in here were like, oh, she's so hot. It's like, why? She's maybe average looking at best. Yeah. But the reason is, of course, because she kicks ass. Which, of course, led to her being... Probably one of the most inappropriate castings of all time. Cast has Electra. Electra. That's in another episode. And you she... see that since then, she hasn't exactly been burning up nah. the big screen with her. You but know, you know, she's I think maybe home. she makes. Yeah, you know, she's happy being a stay at home mom, yeah. I think. It comes out she does her one or two films right. every year. The most recent one was Ghost. Was it Ghost of Girlfriend's Past? Yeah, Ghost of Girlfriend's Past. So, right. But she's become more of like a romantic comedy star. You know, all the kicking ass is gone. Now we're going to spend the rest of the show, briefly, talking about what some of our listeners wanted to see come back on DVD. Okay. And the first thing that's mentioned is a big one, and I'm sure you and I both would want to see, which is the 60s Batman series. Ah, da-da-da-da-da-da-da. And I've said this before, people. Don't you lie. Don't you lie to us and say that you hate this show. The 60s Batman was unique for a couple of things. First of all, it was shown twice a week. And again, going back to the cliffhanger thing. It was a serial. It would end the first night with Batman and Robin in some horrible death trap. And you had to come back the next night to find out how how they escaped. I was awful young. remember seeing that format very, very vaguely because I was like maybe three or four when that was on. Mm Mm-hmm. But I remember when it was shown on WPIX. Yeah, re-ran. I had to be back there every single day to see. They reran the hell out of yeah. it. Before we move on, just let me yeah. say one thing for all you people out there. And I get these people crying about it all the time. Oh, the 1960s Batman show, Adam West, that ruined the character. Guys, no, it did not. Have you ever read a 1966 Batman comic? Thank you. That was the character back then. Back at that then, time. Batman and Robin were fighting on giant pianos. And meeting bad guys such as the Globetrotter. As a matter of fact, the comic book was even weirder because Batman would be traveling to yep. other planets, other dimensions back in time. He was the caveman Batman solving crimes yep. back in the, you know. You know what I find hilarious is that Grant Morrison has brought some of these elements back in his run on Batman. Mm-hmm. And the fans have been hating it. Yeah. Because he brought back the Batman of many nations. People who don't do their homework and don't do their research... Piss me the hell off. As I've said many times, and I quote one of my favorite authors, Harlan Ellison. No, you are not entitled to your opinion, folks. You are entitled to your informed opinion. opinion. So before you have an opinion, make sure you know what you're talking about. James writes in that he would like to see the remaining seasons of The Adventures of Pete and Pete on DVD. And this is something that sometimes happens where you get a company put out the first DVD set. It doesn't sell as well as expected. So they just don't put out the rest. And I'm afraid that the Parker Lewis set isn't going to sell, so I'm not going to get to see seasons two and three. Which I understand for business reasons, but that still kind of yeah. sucks. If you're going to make that commitment and put right. the damn series... Then you know what? Put the series out there. Although, to be fair, Parker Lewis came out, I bought it. Because I want to put my money where the mouth is. Well, that's all you can do. Right. You buy it, and you hope enough other people buy it that they continue going on with it. Now, here's another one that... James talks about, and this is a very obscure anthology series that was, I think, done as ABC's response to the Night Gallery. Okay. The NBC Rod Serling produced horror show. It was called Ghost Story. A lot of these anthology shows have gone missing, which is kind of sad because, granted, any anthology show is a mixed bag, but sometimes there's some really good nuggets. I remember, I think there's an episode in this show about a haunted carnival horse. They steal it from a site where they're tearing down an amusement park. Mm-hmm. And it's a merry-go-round horse. And there's a scene I remember. I don't even remember who was in the thing, but I do remember the scene where they've locked this thing in the garage and it keeps throwing itself against 
the door. And all you're hearing is this like thud, thud, thud. So, I don't remember Ghost Story at all, though. I remember Night Gallery. There was Ghost Story. There was ESP that came out that time with Leonard Nimoy. That was kind of sort of similar to that. What was that Dan Aykroyd syndicated show? Oh, I know what you're talking about. Yeah. Where it was an anthology show that really wasn't an anthology show. Yeah, yeah. It was weird. But yeah, but he would come out at the beginning yeah. at the end and have his bit. But it was like a show. Yeah. It wasn't like, a, yeah, I know what you're talking about. I can't think of the name of yeah. it. Tales yeah. of the Paranormal something or something like, like that. that. Yeah. yeah. They were like these recurring characters, one of which was played by Matt Furrer, who yeah. were going around the country looking at the paranormal phenomena. Kalen Conley, our good friend, our hip-hop maestro, mentions one that I know a lot of people are waiting for, The Wonder Years. I watched it on and off. It was just one of those shows like Doogie Howser that a whole cult has built around it. I mean, I liked it. I'm not going to say I didn't like right. it because I like Fred Savage. Mm-hmm. But I didn't you watch it every week. Like I said, oh man, yeah. I got to go home and watch The Wonder Years. Yeah. This is a show that is on the limbo list because there's some music rights. The music right because they heavily use a lot of music from the right. 60s. Now, granted, some shows like Married with Children and WKRP in Cincinnati have gone around that by taking out the mm-hmm. current at the time hits and putting in generic music. Yeah. WKRP is a much different experience when Dr. Johnny Fever drops a needle on a record and it's not Black Sabbath. Yeah. yeah. There's just something wrong about that. Yeah, that's why I haven't gotten WKRP in Cincinnati or DVD. I don't want a bastardized version of one of my favorite shows. I'd rather not watch it at all than watch a bastardized version. John Drew has a couple of suggestions. We've already talked about Batman. Misfits of Science. That show? That is on DVD. That is on DVD? Yeah, I was reading something the other day on Live Journal. Okay. It is out on DVD. I, I think, though, it's a German version that has been dubbed. Folks, I'm going to do my research, and I'm going to get back okay. to you on that. But Mistress of Science, of course, is a show that featured as one of its writers a certain gentleman that I don't like by the name of Tim Kring. Who is the co-creator of it. Yes, and it's about... A man played by Dean Martin Jr., wasn't it? The son of Dean Martin, Dean Paul Martin, who tragically died in a plane crash. Mm -hmm. And he acts as the head of a special research. Humanidine. 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 And what they do is that they do research in human anomalies. Right. And it's him and his partner, played by Kevin Peter Hall, another actor who, who came, unfortunately died much too early. He came to another tragic end. He died from AIDS. That he got, by the way, from a blood transfusion, mm-hmm. despite popular rumor. He was married for a lot of years yes. to Elena Reed, who was on 227. Mm-hmm. He played a seven-foot-tall scientist who could shrink down to seven inches. Right. Uh, there was also a very young woman by the name of Courtney Cox. Who got this acting role <laughs> as a direct result of... Oh, the video she was in with Bruce Springsteen, yep. Dancing in the Dark. Who played Gloria, a.k.a. Glow, who was a telekind. And there was Johnny B. Good, a rock star. Who had electric powers due to an accident that he had. Yeah, he could throw electrical energy and he could run at super speed. Right. There were a couple of characters who were one-offs. Like, there was the guy who was frozen. And he used to pile around with Amelia Earhart. Well, that's why they drove around in yeah. an ice cream truck. Mm-hmm. Because he couldn't go over a certain temperature, otherwise right. it'd be fatal for him. So he appears in the pilot, but not the other episode. You know why? Because that's why I'm, I'm fairly sure it's out on DVD, because I was on Live Journal with some other people, and we were discussing this. Marvel Comics stepped in. The character was called Iceman. Ah, okay. Marvel Comics stepped in and said, well, you can't use that character anymore. So yeah, you're right. He was in the pilot, but after that, reference was made to him from time yeah. to time, but he didn't appear after that. So for those of you who, who want to drink the Tim Kring Kool-Aid and say, oh, well, he never read a comic book in his life, here's your proof that he did. It's a nice, fun... I remember it being innocuous. Right. It's the X-Men with a sense of humor. Right. Is what it is. If the X-Men were cheery and happy and mm-hmm. fun and palling around, that's Misfits of Science. Okay. Let's move on to the next one that he did, which is Now and Again. Oh, I love Now and Again. This was the show where John Goodman falls into a, in the path of a... Oh, a no, he gets pushed, actually. And then he wakes up in a genetically created mm-hmm. body. That has been created by Dennis Haysberg. Who has gone on to become the president and the head of... The unit. Yeah, the unit, yeah. The unit. It's the body of a genetic Superman. Right. He can run at 60 miles an hour. He's got super strength, super agility, Mm -hmm. the whole nine yards. However, the problem is that he can't tell his family that he's still alive. I love this show, except you know what the problem was? You wanted to see him go on super spy missions, which is what supposedly he was created for. Well, it was the, the Lois and Clark syndrome, which is that as much as I loved that first season, it was more about the romance. Yeah, they got bogged down in all this family because yeah. Dennis Haysburg kept saying, you can't tell your family you're alive. 
Stay away yeah. from your family because your family will be killed unless. Mm-hmm. And he keeps going back there anyway. They had one horrible episode where somehow he got invited to Thanksgiving dinner at the house, mm-hmm. and then a bunch of crooks burst into the house. I like now and again, but I wanted to see more of the super spies right stuff. instead of the family drama. Right. Then we've got Journeyman, which is which one of your. I actually really got into. You really got into. To Journeyman. my surprise, according to Drew, because I asked John after he posted this mm-hmm. if they had resolved it because this was a show that was one of the casualties of the writers of the strike, writers treasure yeah. where they decide rather than give it another chance in the second season they were just going to cancel the show yeah. but they gave them enough time to wrap it up and apparently it has been wrapped up although there are some plot lines dangling like the one that I loved which was the fact that the main character had this girlfriend who disappears suddenly he becomes self-destructive Ends up hooking up with the ex-girlfriend of his brother. And they have their family. And then all of a sudden he starts getting these time slips. He's going back into time. Where he has to figure out what he has to do there before he can come back. Okay? While he's having these time slips, he's seeing his girlfriend again. It turns out that she's a journeyman too. A journeywoman, I guess. But the thing is, whereas he's slipping backwards in time, she's actually from the 40s. Ah. And she's been slipping forward into time. And in ah. fact, that whole relationship, she figured it was finally over. That her whole situation where she was slipping forward into time was finally over, which is why she got involved with him in the first place. So this was all like this whole fascinating little subtext that apparently has not been quite resolved fully. A lot of people just refused to watch it because they figured it was a quantum leap ripoff. Oh, okay. But I think it was a lot deeper than that, and I really got into it. Mm-hmm. It was really an engrossing show. The final show John mentions is Probe, not the probe that turned into search. No, that's what with Parker Stevenson. Parker Stevenson, yeah. Created by Isaac Asimov, which is about a company that salvaged scientific wreckage, if I remember correctly. Well, this was kind of like a forerunner. Remember we did the show about the glut of these shows, about right. these hyper-intelligent right. characters like House and the guy from Fringe right. and the 11th Hour. Which might be episode 47, although don't quote oh, me on okay. that. Parker Stevenson was one of these hyper-intelligent characters that worked for Mm. you. You know it had to be a brainy show because it was created by Isaac Asimov. And that lasted a season, right? That lasted only a season. Another show that lasted only a season, which I really enjoyed, was Brimstone. Ah, yeah, you like that. John Glover plays the devil. John Glover plays the devil. Peter Onorani plays a detective whose wife is raped and killed. He... Tracks down the rapist and kills him, mm-hmm. but because he did it out of anger and not out of self-defense, when he dies, he gets sent to hell. But the devil, mm-hmm. played by John Glover, in a way that is very eerily similar to the way Ray Wise plays the devil in The Reaper, has a deal for him. He's like, you don't really belong here. There was a recent outbreak in hell, and 113 souls escaped back to the mainland. If you can capture all 113 you go free. To remind him, he gets 113 tattoos, and every time he brings somebody back to hell, a tattoo disappears. He has to shoot out their eyes. Yes. I remember. Because the eyes are the windows of the soul. soul. There is a big, big, big twist about halfway through the 13 episodes that actually got shown, Mm -hmm. which totally turned the show upside down, where a character you thought was going to be one thing turned out to be another thing. The biggest problem, I think, with the show was that it looked too similar to another show that wasn't doing very well, that was on the same night as it was, which was Millennium. Ah, okay. Which also didn't do all that well either, as it turns out. Well, the problem with Millennium, and at least in that first season, was it was so one-note. Landshakers would show up at a place going, this place is evil. Mm -hmm. And people go, well, what should we do? I may have said this, my favorite scene in Millennium, which in my mind showed you everything that was wrong with that show, happened midway through the first season where there's a gay community, there's a serial killer going on. Mm -hmm. They hire Frank to track him down. Mm -hmm. They're all going like, what are we going to do? What does he want? And Frank looks at him with the usual, thousand yards and says, he doesn't want anything. He's insane. No shit. And that's every freaking episode every of episode, that first season. Yeah. I mean, he didn't crack a smile. I, I think well, that's it was, why I love the second season so much. It was one episode yeah. I think I saw. But you know what episode I love? And it's what? one of the classic episodes of all time. The one where the three demons are sitting around. See? Now that's from the second season of Millennium, which was produced by Morgan and Wong. Yeah. Who Morgan I love. Wong. As you know, Morgan and Wong, we're doing an episode one of these days soon. Br- that, that was a brilliant episode. That was Somehow the Devil Got Behind Me, mm-hmm. written by Glenn Morgan's brother, Darren Morgan, who is a freaking genius, mm-hmm. who apparently doesn't like to write, but when he does write, he writes some of the most amazing stuff. Yeah. And in fact, Frank appears in exactly... Three minutes of that whole show has one line of dialogue. 
you must live a really sad life. <laughs> the other episode that I remember for that series, I forget what it was called. It was a sequel to Jose Chung's From Outer Space, the X-Files episode. Yeah. And it was based around Glenn going to there and saying, I want you to do an episode where Frank smiles. Smiles. And it's all about this kind of Scientology cult. Scientology cult, right. Where Frank yeah. goes undercover and, and he that's ends what up... he smiles. Yeah, yes. yeah. Okay, let's go to our good friend Michael Bailey who has uh, a list of shows. Starting with he wants to see the last three seasons of the Superboy series. Why? On DVD because he enjoys it. Oh, okay. Although we were, t- who was it? We was talking to him, and we were talking about Stacy Haddock, who played Lana Lang, mm-hmm. who was smoking hot. That's not fair, though. The Superboy series actually wasn't all that bad. Mm-hmm. It was okay, but I like the first guy that played uh, Gerard Christopher. Was yeah, the first I think one? that was him. James yeah. Newton Howard yeah. took over. We've covered some of those other stuff. What about Werewolf? One of the first shows on Fox. Yeah, that was the one with Chuck, Werewolf. The, oh, the, Chuck Connors, right? Chuck Connors played yeah. Janos Korzeny, which they chose as a, as a tribute to the Night Stalker. It lasted two seasons, if I remember correctly. Mm-hmm. They killed Janos Korzeny in the end of the first season, but they found out that he wasn't the, the source of the werewolf virus. Of the werewolf virus. You gotta kill the guy who made the head you, of the, blo- the, head the, of the, head the bloodline, bloodline. To, yeah, to break the curse. That one's actually coming out soon. From Shout Factory. Oh, okay. Who also put out the Parker Lewis show. The other one that's original to his list is Freddy's Nightmares. Which ah. Reference briefly. Which actually had Freddy uh, Krueger. Robert, in- Robert England. Robert England as Freddy Krueger. And it was an anthology series. And he would introduce the stories and have some kind of lame closing joke at right. the end of the episode. As you said, this is the only one of these spin-off shows that really had a connection to the movie in that all the stories took place in Spring... In Springwood or Spring... Spring uh, Springdale or something like that? So spring something. I want to say yeah. Springfield, but that's the same Well, we'll definitely know when the time comes to record the Nightmare on Elm Street series ah, that yes. you have promised you were going to yes. do soon. If I remember correctly, the, the stories were actually pretty lackluster, kind of like sub yeah. Twilight Zone stuff. You could... Watch it. And by the time the first commercial came around, you knew how it was going to end. And that is it for the suggestions of our listeners. Okay. That's a pretty decent grouping there. I'd like to think so. Werewolf is coming out on DVD, but all everything else we'd love to see coming out real soon. And if you've got any more suggestions or TV shows you want to see on DVD, by all means, go to our message board and let us know, and maybe we'll do a sequel to this episode right here. And that's right. Also, another possibility for people who are looking for shows like this is Hulu apparently has a lot of forgotten shows yeah. hosted. Yeah. Hulu.com. I've gone there. Well, usually I go there like if I miss an episode or yeah. something. Like uh, Glee. I heard so much right. about Glee, I wanted to watch that, so I went to Hulu.com. Mm-hmm. Well, of course, you know what show I'm waiting for next season. What? The Human yeah. Target. Oh, absolutely, With yeah. good friend... Mark Valley. Mark Valley. Yeah. Uh, Christopher Chance. That's going to get a season pass on my DVR. Yeah. Sight Unseen. Right. I don't, yeah, I don't... Well, it's because it's Mark Valley. It's Mark Valley. And when I saw the extended trailer, mm-hmm. and I saw who was in it, they've got Jack Earl Haley, Jack Earl and they've Haley. got Chief McBride. Chief McBride. Come on. There is no way this show is not, not going to hit. Where Christopher Chance is driving Morgan Freeman around town. Really? Which I, th- I know is a play on di- Driving Miss Daisy, but I laughed like a maniac. Oh, it looks like they tweak it, the concept a little bit, because yeah. in the comic books, he actually disguises takes himself over, and right. takes over the place of the person whose life is threatened. But I don't care. Mm-hmm. The trailer looked cool as hell. To just briefly review what Derek and I want to see, my two choices were the 1996 science fiction-y show about evil viruses the Burning Zone, mm-hmm. and the 1988 sitcom starring Jerry O'Connell, My Secret Identity. And my two was the 1979 NBC series Cliffhangers, which had three separate stories that were inspired by the Cliffhangers Saturday mm-hmm. morning serials of the 1930s and 40s, and Search, the 1972-1973 spy series starring Burgess Meredith, mm-hmm. Hugh O'Brien, Tony Franciosa, and Doug McClure as three super spies who had specialized implants and cameras by which they could get all types of information and the people back at headquarters could monitor them and make sure that they was okay and give them information on their assignment. There you go. So, that's it. So, it's now time for the administrative, I guess. There you go. Which is so much shorter now. Yeah, I, I know, so isn't much- it? It's got to be a pleasure for you because you yeah. have to remember Remember all that crap. Okay, there are a number of ways to contact us. We've made reference several times in this episode to our message board, which is at betterinthedark.proboards.com. And it's not because we don't love Michael David Sims and our new partners at earth2.net. It's just that 
Our good friend Eric Frum put this up, and we're loyal to our friends. And we've got quite a sizable following yes. on that message board anyway, so why not keep using it? Exactly. You can also send us an email at betterinthedark at earth-2.net, or you can be our friends on Facebook. Just yeah. look for our names. Yeah, both Tom and I are both on Facebook, by all means. We're both also on Live Journal. That's right. Yours is Derek Ferguson's, Derek Ferguson's Notebook. And mine is called Space Monkey Mafia, and that probably says more about our personalities than we really need to no, say. and I admire people like you that can think of clever little things. Like, I'm just too damn lazy. Well, <laughs> no, you know where that came from, I'm too right? lazy. I was listening to the radio, and that stupid-ass Billy Joel song comes on. We didn't start the fire. Oh, yeah. Think about Billy Joel, and I was a big Billy Joel fan when I was a kid. Who was it? The problem with Billy Joel, though, is his entire overture can be boiled down to one statement. It's not my fault. We Didn't Start the Fire is the ultimate It's Not My Fault song. Because mm-hmm. it's just a bunch of shit that happens, mm-hmm. and the chorus is like, It's not really my fault. Mm-hmm. Someone else did this, so I don't have to worry. <laughs> but Billy Joel made what I consider, I mean, for me, it's my favorite video yeah. of all time, and I think it's the best video ever made. The one where he's in the street, and he's playing the music one, to matter of trust. matter of trust and the neighborhood all comes together yeah. and everybody's clapping and sing. It's, it's a very simple video it's just him and his yeah. boys rocking out in the neighborhood yeah. people are dancing and enjoying that video is just total joy to me but the thing about we didn't start the fire which is a total rip off of rem's it's the end of the world as we know it mm-hmm. i think when that was popular i used to sing the lyrics to the rem song to the billy joel song to the billy joel just okay. to annoy people cuz it's just a string of stuff at one point, I'm like listening and I hear, Space Monkey Mafia. I'm like, oh, that's perfect. Really? That's Is perfect. It? I gotta listen it's to It's in the, the lyrics. It's Space Monkey Mafia, bup, 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 bup. a whole lot of other stuff that I won't take responsibility for. Now, now see, now you're going to make me go listen to it, which I haven't heard in <laughs> years, literally. I haven't heard in a long time, because I love Billy Joel, yes. but I don't know. I just haven't listened to him in a while. But on that note, once again, folks, thank you very much for listening to us. As we ramble on, mm-hmm. and we'll be back in two weeks with more goodness. In fact, I think we're going to be recording a Bond episode next. Yep. So until then, this has been my good friend Tom DJ. And this has been my good friend Derek Ferguson. And no matter what you do, no matter where you go, no matter what weird time-traveling back-and-forth mind slip you go to where you have to get fitted with a special tie clip that allows people to look through you and see what's going on so they can advise you. Or if you've got superpowers that nobody does not supposed <laughs> to know about and you're helping out other people and you go into a burning hot burning zone and, uh, <laughs> go, go see, see that, that movie. movie good night good night you've been listening to better in the dark featuring thomas ej and Derek ferguson special thanks go out to big willie and the samurai of the gentleman's guide to midnight cinema michael bailey of views from the long box des reddick of dread media eric Frome, and of course all the members of our better in the dark message board at better in the Better in the Dark promises it will not spend so much time talking about Billy Joel's propensity for passing the buck next episode. Really, we mean it. Send all comments, praise, hate mail, and pipe bombs to betterinthedark at earth2.net. That's betterinthedark at earth-2.net. Please vote for us on Podcast Alley. Better in the Dark is a Conspiracy Productions presentation in association with the earth2.net community of podcasts. All material copyright, Thomas, DJ, and Derek Ferguson. Until next time, remember that when you absolutely positively need to take the trash out, it's best to just tell Doug McClure to do it.